Community is that one way to sort of add that additional level of value to a business without it just being, you know, a monetary transaction. Yeah. Welcome back to Drip, a DC Coffee podcast. I'm your host, Austin Brower. This episode is a collaborative podcast with iFilm Coffee. A few months ago, Vernon Brown of iFilm Coffee and I treated ourselves to cortados and conversation. The collaborative podcast that follows is a result of that shared conversation. Listen to the discussion here, but be sure to check out the video on iFilm Coffee's YouTube channel. iFilm is impressively leveraging video to help people everywhere witness our budding coffee scene. DC Drip and iFilm Coffee bring to you a conversation with Jared Conway of Velo Cafe. Jared and his family's hardware store have been part of the DC coffee scene since 1971. District Hardware and Bike opened up at the wharf on October 13th, 2017, adding coffee to its hardware and bike operations. In this episode, we explore what it takes to have a successful small business in the district and how coffee can help bring together community. So sit back, grab your cup of coffee, and enjoy the episode. Jared Conway, it's awesome to be talking with you today and also have this collaboration with iFilm Coffee uh, to not only share your story on audio, but also to share yours and Velo Cafe's story and video too. So excited to be sitting down with you today. Yes, I'm excited to be here. Awesome. Well, Jared, do you mind just telling us a little bit about who you are, your relationship with Velo Cafe, and then we'd love to hear more about your coffee journey. Sure. So my name is Jared Conway. My family is a three-generation owner and operator of District Hardware and Bike. My grandfather started in the late 1960s in the DuPont Circle area, and we are now in our new store down at the wharf. We opened up about a year ago to a much more expanded platform, and part of that expansion was to bridge more of the community, and we did that by bringing in the Velo Cafe, which is our bicycle-themed cafe. We partnered with Vigilante Coffee to sort of make sure that our operations were tip-top, but it's also sort of an integral part of our business model down here at the wharf. Nice. And... In your journey with coffee, how did you get into coffee and maybe it's, elaborate it's, on that? Yeah, so coffee is something that became sort of a fad for me. I think most people start drinking coffee in college and it becomes sort of a necessity. And for me, I was never a big coffee drinker when I was younger. And it wasn't until I started really getting back into cycling as an adult and joining group rides and going out to coffee shops that that coffee culture really started to sort of intrigue me. And what really sort of got my interest in it was during my honeymoon, my wife and I went down to Australia. And Australia's got this crazy coffee culture. We were jet lagged and my wife just wanted a gigantic cup of coffee, like a drip coffee. And we'd go into any cafe there, they're like, what are you talking about, you crazy American people. It was really interesting to see that different countries, different societies, different cultures look at coffee in a very drastically different way than we do. Yeah. And everyone was like, you mean an Americana? We're like, no, no, no. Just give me a giant 20 ounce cup of coffee, just straight out the filter. And everyone's like, we don't do that here. We don't know what you're talking about. Yeah. So that really just sort of started me on my journey of different types of coffee, single origin, techniques for espresso, drip coffee, you know, the difference between first, second, third wave coffee. And it just sort of parlayed into this desire to open up a cafe into one of our businesses. Yeah. And so it's been an interesting journey, getting to try all the different ways that people experience and sort of design their coffee shop and their coffee experience. Yeah. Really kind of the initial love for coffee came from a different community that you had. It came from the biking community? Is that what it kind of got Yeah, it came from partially the coffee community and it also just sort of came from an exposure to the way different cultures look at Mm -hmm. coffee and I found that to be enlightening. You know, not to wax poetic, but I mean, I think you look at different cultures and and sort of like religion. Religion is one of those things that sort of drive a lot of cultural aspects or cultural norms and I sort of see coffee as one of those things that also is a driver of culture. Like I said, the Australia example, no one knew what the hell I was talking about when I was trying to get my wife a cup of coffee. You know, here it's like, you know, you got Dunkin' Donuts, you got gas station coffee, you got on one end and then you get pour overs and some very esoteric types of single origin coffees on the other and there's a lot of education throughout all of America that they don't they live somewhere in the middle, right? Like Starbucks is the classiest thing that they've experienced and they don't understand beyond that, but there's plenty of people that never even get to Starbucks, right? Like your Green Mountain coffee at the Exxon is like, it's good coffee. And you go to other countries and they're like, 
what is this shit? Right? Am I left cusp, by the way? Am I? Sure. <laughs> okay. Oh, yeah. All right. Yeah. Um, so. <laughs> It'll be an explicit episode. So, uh, beep beep. Yep. Uh, so I, sh- I should warn you that we've worked in an industry that is very hands-on. Yeah. When I was growing up, when American Chopper was on Discovery Channel, and you'd have the Tuttles like just cussing at each other left and right, and have my friends come over watching that, and they would just turn on me and my dad and be like, "That's you guys." So if there's an excessive amount of bleeps, I apologize ahead no, of time. No worries. You know, we're sort of salt of the earth folk. Bay Look Cafe is a family, or it is. District Hardware yeah. is a family business. It is, it is a family business. It always has been. We look at our staff as family. Mm-hmm. Before we started recording, we were talking a little about how David, who's our bike yeah. manager, my dad's best man at his wedding, him and my dad used to ride motorcycles cross country when they were much younger. He's been with us for decades, and we've had a lot of employees that have been with us for many, 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 many years. And so we have a pretty high level of retention. I think part of that is because this is a family institution. Mm-hmm. We There's lessons to be learned from having a corporate environment from a structural standpoint because it helps with inventory control and quality control and things like that. But that empathy that you get as being part of a family business, I think that's unique. Yeah. And I think that's what... I like to think this from an anecdotal experience is what ingrains our employees to us because it's not just an employee-employee relationship. Sure, there is that, but I think there's there's a deeper level there. So, right? like, yeah, right. Like my dad's a, your grumpy grandfather or your your grumpy old man, and he's gonna he's gonna cuss and storm off, rah, 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 grumpy, yeah. grumpy, grumpy. But you sort of like, hey, it's sort of like my old man, right? And uh, there's this family dynamic to it. I think that's it makes it unique. Yeah, right? it makes it fun. Yeah, and so I actually want to kind of back up a little bit, and it is true that Velo Cafe is really kind of grown out of District Hardware. It has. So do you mind giving a little background into District Hardware? Sure. Like the history, and then also where you are currently in D.C.? So I'm a first-generation American. I think that's sort of important to establish. That drives a lot of what's happened to my family over okay. the decades. And so my grandparents immigrated here from London to New Zealand, had my aunt, my uncle, my father, not in that order, and then immigrated here to the United States, actually to Tacoma Park. London was bombed out after the war, but you know, America has always been, I know it's cliche, this land of opportunity, There's yeah. this, there very much is this American dream. Again, not trying to be cliche, but my grandfather definitely had that. And it was always his desire to have his own store, and he was a natural storyteller, a natural salesman. He used to sell good door-to-door sell vacuum cleaners, and he did that 1950s door-to-door salesman thing. In the late 1960s, he had the opportunity to buy a hardware store in DuPont Circle, what's now Soho Cafe on 22nd and P Street. Okay. And that used to be a brownstone. It got redeveloped. It's now a mid-rise. So that was our first store in 1968. And he used to sell hardware. He had a small repair counter for bikes. And he used to rent Hertz bicycles. And so Hertz used to be in the bicycle rental business. And hmm. there's actually a picture in the Library of Congress of my grandfather renting some bikes out of the front door of the original store in the late 1960s. You know, you see the Hertz rental sign in the window. It's, it's pretty cool. Yeah. That building got redeveloped, and there was an opportunity to move up the street to 20th and P. And so, like, a year or two later, that's where I moved. Uh, and we were there from the early 1970s up until about... 12 years ago when that building got sold and it got redeveloped as well. But when we moved up to that location at 20th and P, we opened a full service and sales bike shop. Still pretty small. I mean, the whole store was maybe 2,700 square feet. And this was before the ADA, so everything was just packed in, right? It was this old school hardware store where sometimes you had to shimmy around a, a support beam because that's just how things were back then yeah. and thankfully we had good customer service because if you had a wheelchair and you were trying to get down on the aisles it was just not gonna happen <laughs> and you had to like snake through the hardware store to get the bike shop but it was a community center and in the 70s couriers were a big thing and so we probably had every single bike courier in the city come through our shop at some point it was a neighborhood store we had a very it was sort of a unique time in DC in the 80s the crack epidemic you had DuPont Circle sort of gentrifying and, and building back up after a big drop-off hmm. and then you started to see the big DC revitalization with Mayor Williams and sort of all the development started happening there we eventually got hit by that redevelopment as well and in their late 2000s we moved down to Foggy Bottom for about 10 years mm-hmm. we liked Foggy Bottom we liked our neighbors but at that time there really wasn't a whole lot of development going on in DC gotcha. so you we guys were in a basement yeah area. I mean it was like below grade we had no yeah. we had no sidewalk easement it was a huge change from our DuPont Circle location where so Pizza Paradiso is there now 
La Pan Cotidiana is yeah. there as well. But you got like 20 foot of easement. So you, we had bikes outside, we had hardware, and we lost all that when we moved down to Foggy Bottom. But there wasn't anything else going on in DC outside of Northwest. And so it was, you, you didn't have a whole lot of options. So yeah. it, it was fine, right? Like there's nothing wrong with it, but we were sort of tapped out. Like we, we realized that we didn't have the space to really become a community hub and get a better depth of products to serve our customers. So three or four years ago, we knew that we had to target something new, something bigger, something a little bit different. You know, I won't bore you with all the neighborhoods and all the searches that we went through, but our realtor brought us down here and we're like, come on, Southwest? Like, who the wants to come down to Southwest? And, and we saw the master plan for down here. We're like, yeah, where do we sign? Because we saw the potential. We knew that we could expand our core business lines, but then we could also bring in something to really bring it all together, not only from a business line perspective, yeah, yeah. but also for a community perspective. And that really was the Velo Cafe. In fact, we weren't sure if we were going to bring all three components down to whatever our new location was going to be yeah. when we started our, our search for a, a new location. Three components, hardware, hardware bike, cycles, yeah, and, and cafe. Coffee. But we always knew that whether we went just bike or just hardware, cafe was going to be a part of it. Gotcha. No matter what. We look at the way Target and all the grocery stores and you know all these mass retailers, they all got a Starbucks, they all got a Caribou Coffee or, or something in there. And there's a logic behind it, right? Like, you all know from your experiences in the coffee industry that coffee sort of slows things down. And I don't want to say it was a, necessarily a money-making ploy, but I think it was a very smart thing for them to do that. Yeah. We wanted to take it that next level. We didn't want it to just be, yeah, buy a coffee and walk around and maybe buy something a little bit extra. We wanted it to be point of service. You're coming in for paint, it takes 10 minutes to mix that. Instead of walking down the street aimlessly, come have a cup of coffee, sort of enjoy that experience. Uh, you're getting your bike worked on, same deal, right? Like, you don't need to walk down to the 7-Eleven or the CVS, go get a bottle of water. Have a cup of coffee. Yeah. And by the way, we're not going to just give you gas station pump coffee. We're going to make sure that your experience, for whatever purpose you came in for, was quality. Yeah. And that it was comforting and that it was family-oriented and community-oriented. Yeah. But we also knew that we wanted to be a spot for cyclists and other members of the community, whether it's neighbors or runners or dog walkers or whatever that wound up being. They had a space that was uniquely the neighborhoods. Yeah. So, great. If you need something else in the other departments, awesome. But be a part of our community. Yeah. And let us be a part of your community. So, meetups. We do a lot of cycling meetups. We do running group meetups. It's not something we charge for. It's not something that you know we have any expectations to like book our, our right. facility. It's please like be here, <laughs> study here, meet up here, introduce people to the neighborhood, yeah. and vice versa. Be here with us, in yeah. the community. That's interesting. Talking about Target and Walmart putting cafes into their spaces, and you're also starting to see it in banks too. With, with Capital, Capital One Bank, doing yeah, the, the coffee shop. Plus, mm -hmm. you can do your banking there. And that's just an interesting model. I wonder if you'll start to see these businesses that collaborate with a couple different, very different product lines like you all have. Yeah, I, I think there's a couple of good examples. I think the Rafa store in Georgetown has a similar concept to what we're doing. I mean, Rafa's a very high-end cycling clothing line, beautiful products, but they've brought in a cafe and they hold seminars, very focused seminars. They'll bring in pro cyclists, they'll bring in frame builders, they'll have keynote speakers from that industry or tertiary industries that are related. And I think they've, they've built that community hub around that. I think coffee is something that brings people together and it's a smart move, right? Like whether it's economically or building a culture or building community, it's even if you don't like to drink coffee, who doesn't like being in a coffee shop? Right, something. Right warm and inviting about it. Yeah. Right? So I think it's a smart move. Yeah. You know, you've mentioned, kind of woven throughout the story as you keep coming back to community and being a place for the community. And the wharf is interesting in that it is a destination for people in the city yep. or for tourists, um, but then it's also starting to become more of a neighborhood or, or maybe it is, you can, you can tell me. But why is Velo Cafe so interested in, in being a community center for people? And and then also, what are some of the tensions mm -hmm. that the wharf poses or challenges that it poses to the community? There, there's obviously, as a business, there is always sort of a monetary driver behind a lot of these things. And, and I don't want to pretend that there isn't. Yeah. We are not a non-for-profit. So, I mean, 
you know, let's not pretend that we're doing this solely for, you know, altruistic needs. Yeah. But I think if you are going to operate, especially in this day and age, it is important to provide an experience that is meaningful to people because there's a lot of options out there. It's impossible not to mention the Amazons of the world. They have a good customer experience, right? Like you order something and if you're in the right market, it shows up later that day. It's impossible to beat them on price. It's it's very difficult to beat them on service. They have a lot of positives. And so community is that one way to sort of add that additional level of value to a business without it just being you know, a monetary transaction. Yeah, yeah. But we, we learn from our customer base and it, it's something that it allows us to almost focus group what it means to be a part of the community. We have a good number of boats behind us that are liveaboards. And so there's a whole community here at the wharf, before the wharf even was in existence, as it is today, they have specific needs, right? So they were ordering stuff from West Marine, they were going to various hardware stores, and now we can have that discussion with the community over a cup of coffee and say, hey, let's sit down and let's map this out, right? Like, what are your needs as a customer, as a part of this community that may be unique to living on a boat? For example, like we do a lot of stuff that other hardware stores might not have. We do a lot of stainless steel. We have like a whole thing of damp rib because you're sitting on the water, right? Like these are very niche needs yeah. that sure you can get on Amazon, sure you can find at some other online retailer, but we're trying to tailor that to a one-stop shop for the people in our community. And I think getting off your boat and having a cup of coffee, having a beer, and being able to have a conversation with either our, our hardware manager or you know, someone in the cafe that's mm -hmm. well cross-trained, we have that sort of holistic experience. That was important, right? Like it's a differentiator. And I think the wharf, sort of to the second part of your question, yeah, yeah. when we signed up here, there's a sort of grand vision of a ground-up neighborhood. And a lot of people have knocked that as being a little inauthentic. And I can see where their perspective would be like that. Because you've got, on the riverside, a lot of high-end restaurants. You've got very boutique-y places. But you don't have a whole lot of chains, which I thought was very interesting, right? Like Shake Shack's a chain, and, and I guess Taylor's a local chain, no more, unfortunately. And they do a blue bottle, but you don't have a whole lot of national chains represented down here, which I thought was very interesting. But if you're a Washingtonian, you know that this area has gone through a number of attempts to be revitalized, and it was never going to be an organic development like Shaw has turned into or other neighborhoods where it's really been an extension of say Adams Morgan or DuPont Circle you know you get Columbia Heights and then it's moved up to Petworth or you know you have Union Market and you have H Street and you have these sort of neighborhoods that are now starting to blend together yeah. even 14th Street I think Logan Circle is a perfect example right you had like two businesses opened up there 10 years ago you had Ace and you had like the bikes uh, rolling cycle Rowan Cycle over on 14th Street, you had Bike Rack, and they were some of like the first businesses that opened up, and they really bridged that gap for a lot of people. Then all of a sudden, there's a Whole Foods, and there's every restaurant known to man, and you got like six Michelin stars up and down 14th Street, and it's turned into this thing. But down here, because there's a separation from the highway, there's a separation from mass transit, you are never going to have that organic growth because you've got the monument, you've got La Fon Plaza, you have federal government. That sort of stops development. So it was either going to be a no man's land for a long time or someone had to come in and do something big. Yeah. I don't want to get in displacement and, and that's a whole other economic discussion yeah, that I'm not prepared to or smart enough to even have a conversation about. But there's a mile long stretch that was never really invested in and it's waterfront. And the same thing I think goes for Navy Yard. Uh, someone was gonna have to invest big, and that's what they did. So I think they did a couple things right. They got a bunch of different architects, all the buildings sort of have a different feel. They did, I think, the right thing with bringing in local restaurants, local people to help run that, because they wanted to avoid the Baltimore Inner Harbor stigma, right? Where you've got a Phillips and a TGI Fridays and a Cheesecake Factory and very touristy from that perspective. But I think as this has, has developed as a partner, I think they understand DC. But this has become a lot more destination than I think even they expected. And they, they knew it was going to be a little bit of that, but I think some of the businesses here are so high-end that it almost lends itself only to that. Again, not bad things. Like The restaurants here are amazing. Yeah. 
I've been fortunate enough to patronize a good number of them. The chefs come in, their staff come in. We know we have a good relationship with a lot of the folks that are down here. There is still a lot that I think could be done to enhance the local experience. I think that will start to change once phase two has completed and they got a few more residences in there. And then all the residences from here wrapping around to the Navy Yard start to fill in. Like hmm. by the soccer stadium, everything up M Street. Yeah, yeah. They've got something like 4,000 or 6,000 residences that are gonna come online in the next two to three years. When that happens, I think you're gonna start seeing a very big shift into what this neighborhood becomes. Because it won't be like a city center where you've got one or two residences, but a lot of nine-to-fivers or tourists and things like that. Yeah. So I'm looking forward to that. But, you know, you can call us an early adopter if you want. You know, the wharf has been pretty open, right? They have the conversations with us. They've listened to our concerns. They've listened to our ideas about enhancement. I'm not going to get into some of this because I don't want to speak out of turn and make it seem like they will be doing something or they've yeah. committed yeah. to something. But they've been willing to sit down and say, hey, you know, what are you seeing from a retail experience? And they've been open to our feedback saying like, hey, if you want this to truly be a neighborhood experience, right? Like there are certain things that you, you as a developer have to understand, whether it's rent or payroll or staffing levels or parking or foot traffic or, or things like that. If you want to invest fully in the destination side, great. Keep investing on the water side. If you want to have a neighborhood component, you need to look at things almost as two different shopping destinations, mm. right? Like the waterfront, the waterfront and, and Main, Main Avenue. Street. Yeah, because it's a different clientele, right? Like the people that want to be on the water because they're here for the day, they might not be walking down Main Avenue, but the people who live in the neighborhood, they want the services, right? They want the CVS, they want the hardware store, they're commuting by bike, they want that experience because it's important to them as neighbors. Yeah. So, you know, uh, I don't think any developer or any retailer has it right 100% of the time, but I have found it interesting that they've been a lot more willing to have conversations with because they want to see this successful. Yeah. Um, you know, they got tax dollars on the line as well compared to, say, other people that are like, hey, I, I own this building in DuPont Circle or I own this building in Adams Morgan. Here's the rent. Right? Like, I don't care what everyone else is doing. This person owns that building. That person owns that building. You're locked in, right? Adams Morgan's got a lot of foot traffic. Yeah. Here's the rent. Right? This is a little bit more curated. <laughs> and, uh, you know, so it's been interesting. It's been interesting. Yeah. It's, it's been a learning experience because our previous landlords are like, here's rent, yeah. right? Like, oh, it's, there's construction down the street that's impacting your business, we don't care, yeah. right? Like, it's, huh. it's much more transactional. This is, I think, as collaborative as you could ask for from a developer slash property management company. Oh, that's great. And you guys get to speak to very different clientele throughout the day as well, yeah. being a hardware, and as you mentioned, who's cycling or who's just here for coffee. The coffee side of the house, we were talking before and you are talking a little bit about your relationship with your coffee provider. Mm -hmm. So who's your coffee partner and how valuable was that relationship to getting this online? Because my understanding is this is the first cafe yeah. you as a family group have created. So we're very, very fortunate that we started interacting with Vigilante and, and Chris Vigilante and his team super early on in our development process. Mm -hmm. So before we even started a lease, this is the fun part, right? Like I went around to every single cafe in the city from people that had their own in-house programs to people that use third-party providers like a Stumptown mm -hmm. or a Rare Bird or, or, you know, whoever that roaster was. And it was very important as a born and raised Washingtonian that we brought someone in that had unique ties to DC, but also would be able to provide that guidance because we don't want to come in here with an inferior product or more importantly, an inferior experience. I think you can have a, not a bad product, but you can have a product that someone else also has, but make a difference up on the service side of things. And since this was a new foray for us, it was important that whoever we partnered with, whether it was someone who was outside of the region or if it was someone local, they could provide us that institutional knowledge and that training, yeah. as well as the lessons learned and best practices to ensure that we're successful. And Chris, when I first met him, the Hyattsville location had their mobile stand. Like they, they had yeah. to build it out the way that it is now. So if you walk into their cafe now, you walk in and their, their whole station's on the left-hand side. Their original station was the right-hand corner. It was like, oh, a, it was on like wheels. It was like literally a bunch of skateboards, you know, with planks nailed into it and, uh, you know, an espresso machine and, and a few other things. And, you know, they had Little Red, which is you know, the little roaster. And that was it. And it was very cool to have those conversations with Chris and like see him, him grow and sort of morph his ideas and his vision into something much larger. Yeah. 
and we benefit from being able to, one, see him grow and see all those trials and tribulations, but he wanted to make sure that whoever he brought on followed his way of doing things, and we needed that type of relationship. And he also just, he dug the vibe, right? Like, he's he's a city guy, right? Like, he rides his bike everywhere, he skateboards everywhere, like, he understands the connection between bike and coffee, he understands the grittiness of starting your own business, and he also cared about quality, right? Like, he's just awesome coffee product. Yeah. So we, we bonded pretty quickly, and, and it was just a natural fit for us to, to partner with them. And their training program was fantastic, right? Like, his partner Robert got us all the equipment. He sort of like walked us through like why this, why that, why not this, why that. Helped us out with space layout, and uh, you know they really offered that cradle to grave solution for yeah. us. Hopefully um, not grapes. No, hopefully not. Right? Right. Just, but uh, you know, but they treated us like family, right? Yeah. And I think that's a very, very personal, uh, a very important dynamic yeah. to have in your partners. Like, yeah. It wasn't transaction. It's great, and it's it's fun to see two DC face small businesses yeah. collaborating. It is. Uh, and we, we had no idea what we were doing. We were like, we want to do coffee, right? Like, what next? Like, yeah. Okay, buy some beans and, and do something with it. You know, or I like I like how this tastes. Yeah. Uh, and so there was, a lot of, there was a lot of learning for us. And one thing that really helped was around the time we signed the lease for this location and, and things were, were starting to move forward, my sister, who had spent a number of years in hospitality, wanted to come on board and manage the food and beverage operations. And so I had, you know, eight million project management tasks that are on my plate and it was great for her to be able to come in, not only from like a family perspective, which I think sends this awesome, awesome message, but she has a very regimentalized mindset just like Chris had. And so you had this good marrying of Chris's adherence to policy, that what's worked for him, and my sister's desire to be structured and process oriented without losing that family and community feel and I think it just it worked out great she runs a tight ship down like people don't mess around with my sister she will let you know where you stand in very uncertain terms and I think Chris is the same way he wants things done a particular way to maintain quality and it needs to be transparent it needs to be opaque right like the customer does not need to see how that runs they just need to make sure they have a quality product in their hand and if for some reason they don't, it gets resolved. Yeah. And my sister has that same sort of mentality. So it just, it worked out on so many levels and just sort of fell into place, which was amazing. Yeah. Um, but yeah, we sent our baristas out to Hyattsville for training. Lauren's gone through all that training. We're gonna start sending them back out for refresher training and like advanced barista, like latte art training. And yeah. constantly, constantly upping our game. Yeah. So what, what were some other challenges? I think you mentioned a few there. That the cafe specifically opposed to the operations or day-to-day or so when we came into this we had a couple of uh maybes must-haves and we're just not going to do it yeah so when we signed a lease three plus years ago the construction market hadn't heated up so you know we negotiated ti we negotiated all these things to sort of help us build out the space so they gave us this cold dark shell we had to do all the hvac we had to do all like everything like there was nothing in here and so three years later, we're actually starting to do construction. Everything has just gone up in price. The material costs have like tripled in some cases. And so we had to make sure that, you know, we wanted to have the garage door, we wanted to have the takeaway window. These were like key to our operations and business. And I think we, we looked at what we did in the cafe, like, do we want to have more equipment for food? Do we want to do more space for this function or that function or do we want to do these types of furnitures versus that type of furniture and what's our millwork looking like and we had to reassess what all that was going to be because we knew that there were key things we had to have yeah we had to have coffee equipment that was going to support the volume that we were anticipating and we were talking earlier i did like you know a rough estimate of how many shots of espresso that we pulled in the last year and something like sixty thousand shots of espresso in the last year so we knew that we had to have equipment that would withhold to that level of volume. You know, we knew that we wanted to have a takeaway window. So early morning, we could have people walk up the window or if they had- Oh, you guys have one? Yeah, yeah, we have a walk-up window. So like people come in with dogs, right? Oh, like cool. Department of Health, we can have dogs in the rest of the store, which is crazy. But if it's seating area, we can't have a dog. Yeah. It's sort of silly, Don't but those are Department of Health, you know? right? We had to change general contractors halfway through construction. You know, our general contractor was like, well, you can't have this, that, and the other. Like, this is, this is not gonna happen, right? We will have, this is on our must-have list. So we, we sort of overcame those challenges and we made this decision early on that we wanted to do two other things in the cafe. One, we did not want to make food. Yeah. 
because that brought a whole other level of complexity and cost, right? You have to have hoods, fire suppression, all these other things that, you know, garbage disposals, dishwashers, walk-in fridge, all this. And it was just beyond the scale of one, what we thought we would be capable of handling. And we figured it was something that if this is working really, really well, look, you know what, we can always build out more, all right? So we sort of had this strategic plan of growth and said, okay, this is what we have to have to be successful. We're not chefs, yeah. we don't want to hire a chef. We want to have local food with stuff that's going to come to us, you know, 90% ready or 100% ready, yeah. right? pastries and setting. So we knew that's where we needed to be. The other thing we wanted to get into is we wanted to get into beer and wine. Yeah. And we saw that as critical to our operations because the rest of the store was going to stay open until 7 or 8 o'clock at night. And we know that there's a drop-off in coffee drinking at, you know, some point in the afternoon. So how do you keep that going? And uh, I will say, if anyone's interested in doing this with booze, hire a lawyer, right? Like, it's, it's, it was easier for me to get construction permits than to get my liquor license. It is insane, right? Like, it is the most bureaucratic, disconnected process ever, right? We all had to go get police reports. We had to get police reports from our city of residence as well as the city. My parents live in Rockville. I live in Virginia. I had to get a police clearance from Alexandria City. I had to get uh, police clearance from D.C. My parents had to do the same thing for Montgomery County. Why? Right? Like... <laughs> Then, you know, they had to see all of our tax information. Even though they're a government agency in the district, they have no connection to DC tax and revenue. And like, so you had to get all these forms printed out, hand them all in, and they don't have it in a checklist, right? It's like in paragraph form, like paragraph two, sentence three, line four. Uh, By the way, you need to have a picture of all your passports. Like, why don't you have a checklist, right? Like, why don't you have all these things? Hire a lawyer, right? Like, I I thought I could do it. I feel like I'm a fairly intelligent guy when it comes to reading papers like this. Mm -hmm. And it was just such a tedious process. Spend the money. Like, get a lawyer. I wish I hadn't done it myself, right? Like, it was... Okay. It was... But I'm glad we did. And then with that, there's been, like, a bunch of learning curve things, right? The second you get into that, ABRA now has authority over your operating hours. So even though we might be open at 7 in the morning... We have to have an ABRA manager on site all hours of operation. We're not serving alcohol at 7 in the morning on a Tuesday. Doesn't matter, right? Like, if you want to change our hours, you got to let them know. Right? And we have to go through the liquor board and this, that, and the other. It's, it's crazy, right? Like, so that was, like, this huge, huge learning curve. But we knew we had to do it, right? Like, it was yeah, key yeah. to our operation. Um, but then there were sort of other things that we just had to forego. We don't have a dishwasher. We wash our dishes by hand. We have a dishwasher. It's sitting in a box downstairs. They're not cheap things. But when we went through Department of Health, Department of Health didn't know how to classify us. They were classifying us as a restaurant. We're not a restaurant. We're not making food. And so, you know, one of these crazy stories from when we were opening up was the Department of Health inspector came in. They're like, we're not passing you. What are you talking about, right? They're like, oh, you don't have a garbage disposal. Like, we have a dishwasher. We don't make anything. It goes in the trash. No, 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 you have to have a garbage disposal. And our three-compartment sink is not designed to have a garbage disposal. Yeah. So I don't remember what the... I called George's... Over, George's is a used kitchen place over in Alexandria. I was like, George, do you have a freestanding sink that I could hook up a garbage disposal for? He's like, yeah, yeah, I got one. I was like, how much is it? He's like, 300 bucks. I'll be there in 20 minutes. I like zoomed over there, threw it in the back of my truck, came down here, literally threw it out the truck to my general contractor so he could install it 20 minutes before the Department of Health inspector came back in. And it's been used twice. These were these things that like we weren't prepared for and we didn't think we had to have them, but then we had to go get them. Yeah. Uh, and I'm sure in a year, DC will change their rules and we can rip it out and then, you know, Maybe. it won't be a problem. So it was those types of things that, like, we knew we wanted to get some things in. We didn't know what we had to have in. And, you know, some things we just had to scrap. Wow. Well, I was happy you brought up your craft beer as well. Mm-hmm. I mean, it seems like you have craft coffee, craft beer, and cycling. And yeah. all these things, to me, are almost like, uh, what's a good way to describe them? They're, they're all, to me, when you think about those kind of industries or those I don't know whatever you call them they're like icebergs where most people just see the top of these industries yeah. where it's like drinking the coffee they have a beer they cycle a little bit but then once you like actually swim down you just start to see this extremely complex um, environment I mean we have a whole podcast about especially coffee in DC and there's so many stories or conversations we're not having and then it, I'm sure it's the same for beer and for cycling it's interesting that all of those are in one place now. Has that convergence enhanced the conversation for each within the, the shop or within your all's mind? It, it has. It's 
I'm, I'm going to butcher the reference. Okay, so uh, I apologize okay. to anyone who is in this industry or knows more about it than I do. And, uh, you know, I think the iceberg is a pretty legitimate comparison, but there's the sequoias or something up in the Pacific Northwest. Like, yeah. apparently that's one big organism, right? But we see the trees and the trunks, but the whole root system is like one giant root system. And coffee and bikes and, and beer, I think it's on the surface, right? Like, their own individual tree trunks and, and leaves, and there's all these different branches off to each one of these segments. But underground, they're all intertwined. Yeah. And I think there is a cultural significance behind each one of them and, and you have your passions each niche seems to have a group of individuals that have a deep passion for coffee and for beer and for bikes and I think you see that in you know you have a lot of people that they build their own bikes and they've got a garage full of bikes or their apartment is like literally stacked with bikes and bike parts you, know, you got home roasters you got home brewers and I think there is this mutual respect among the crafts to recognize other craftsmen mm -hmm. because there is a fairly low barrier to entry for beer and coffee and bikes they naturally gravitate towards one another you you go for a long bike ride whatever that winds up being right before there hey you know let's meet up for a cup of coffee right like let's get amped up for our bike ride yeah. and when we're done with our bike ride i need something refreshing right i don't want water you know what a pilsner sounds great, or IPA sounds great. It's refreshing, right? But there's also this relaxation component, yeah, right? Like yeah. water just does not have that same level of chill out factor that a beer or a coffee has after something, doing something intense yeah. or, or exerting yourself. And so I think you have this craftsman sort of camaraderie and, and mutual respect along with this ability to step back and, and relax an outlet, right? Like people are very passionate about their beer. People are very passionate about their bikes. People are very passionate about their coffee. And so I just think there's this natural gravity towards it. And, you know, for us, it was really sort of filling out that trifecta, right? Like we knew we wanted to build a bike community more than just bike sales and bike repair, where it was something more than transactional. And so, so coffee was a great bridge, right? Like we do a coffee ride every month with Vigilante, we go out from here, it's 11 miles to Hyattsville, we go down the trail, but it's like, we joke, it's like coffee, coffee, beer. We drink some coffee, we drink some more coffee, come back after being tired and we have some beer. Yeah, that's and great, how do I get in on that? Yeah, just check our mailing list, nice. man. Okay. Like, so districthardware.com, we have all of our events on there, and the same thing goes for classes. So we do gardening classes, we do bike maintenance classes, and you know, people grab a beer and they'll, they'll listen, they'll absorb, but it becomes a much more relaxed environment. Yeah. So it helps, right? It builds that community. I don't want to name names and, and put people on the spot, but like there's a good community of cyclists and they're regulars and they don't need to buy a bike from me. I'd love that whenever they're ready, but that's not necessarily what it's about. They're coming in with their friends because they feel comfortable. And I think it's because we address all those things. Mm -hmm. And local's a big part of it. Right? Yeah. There's too many things that can't be done locally. Yeah. Beer and coffee can be done locally. They can be done locally. That's awesome. That's really neat to hear. And so in DC, you've been here your whole life. Whole life. You know, short stint in Illinois. There you go. College and all that. Okay. But for somebody visiting town, mm -hmm. or you know, if you've been in DC for a while, what are the places that you would tell them to go for a good dinner, or a good oh. drink, or? So, uh, so you sent me coffee. that question. You sent me that question, and uh, I've been. You just have a list. Of I do. I have a list, and it, it like depends on the person. And all right, so for me, where are you telling me to uh, go? So, again, lifelong Washingtonian. I remember when like a big night out was going to the Palm, right? Like, or a steakhouse, because that's what DC used to be known for. And if you're Washingtonian, the article that everyone hates to see every year is the New York Times three days in Washington uh, article where they basically bash the restaurant scene in DC and they've been doing it for like 30 years. They just talk about how it used to be steakhouse after steakhouse. It was like there or uh, what was the fondue place that was the chain fondue? Uh, the melting uh, pot. Melting pot, Okay, yeah. right. It was like steakhouse or melting pot. That was DC, right? Like now there's just so many options. So I thought about this. If I was going to go to, I want to get everything knocked out at once. Union Mark, right? Like okay. they got a little bit of everything. Not every city's got a food hall. It's in a pretty eclectic place. And you sort of hit everything. It's good for kids, right? Like we bring my kids there all the time. They just run around outside and play ping pong now, apparently. You can hit everything, right? You can have a beer, you can walk around, you get your coffee. You know, I think Peregrine does a great job with their coffee program. You know, you can get a good bagel there. But if it's someone that wants something a bit more unique, Chico. 
over in Capitol Hill is where I'm going to Wait, sorry, what's this? Chico? Chico. So they're over on Barracks Row. Danny Lee, who owns Mondu, he started that with two other partners. And they just have this Chinese-Korean infusion, and they have just some amazing, amazing food. They make a fried rice with brisket. It's just incredible. Yeah. So I like to take people there. It's amazing for what they offer, and it's not outrageously expensive, and it's accessible to the average person, you know, without saying, hey, we're going to go to this place, it's $300 for a prefix menu, and, you know, it doesn't yeah. include wine, right? I don't know so if I've ever done that. Yeah. We have a lot of those now, right? They're amazing restaurants, yeah. but, uh, you know, I had a friend coming in from out of town, and they want to do something that wasn't uh, super upscale, but wasn't uh, Panera. We're going to Chico. Okay. We're going to Chico. Um, besides Velo Cafe, where are you going to get coffee on a regular basis? So I live in Alexandria. I go to Swings a whole lot. Okay. I like the vibe. I like that the roastery is right there. Uh, yeah. I make a good cup of coffee. I do Peregrine a whole lot because we go to my wife and I go to Union Market a whole whole bunch. Whether it was the Union Market operation or the one over in, in Capitol Hill, I just thought they did a great job. Yeah. I like Compass too. I mean, like whenever I'm downtown, I grab Compass and. I think they've got an interesting model. I think we're going to see them pop up more and more throughout the city and, yeah. and, and the region. I mean, those are probably my three spots other than my own spot where yeah. I'm definitely going to patron my own spot. Oh, if I can sure. make it out to Vigilante, I'm I'm definitely out there. Yeah. Like, if I know I need to do some work and just be heads down and be away from everybody, I'm hanging out in Heights. Nice. What are you most excited about for, say, the next five years or, or whatever it is in the future in regards to the cafe specifically? And then if you want to elaborate on uh, the general organization. So I mentioned sort of earlier that we had these have-to-haves in our cafe, right? Mm-hmm. Like, And we had sort of this strategic vision of how we wanted to start. So it's not cart before the horse. You know, my sister and I do talk a lot about what's that next step for this location. Are we going to sort of slowly upgrade some of our features, right? Like, are we going to change our furniture and sort of change the ambiance? Are we going to change our product offering a little bit? You know, are we going to start getting into food? What does that really look like if we mapped it out? Like, what would it take from an investment standpoint to say, start doing food or start doing mimosas at brunch time yeah. on the weekends, right? Like, we've got partnerships for bagels and you know, various other things like maybe we do like a bagel brunch every Saturday and Sunday so we're we want to see where that next step is to bring some more folks in yeah um, we want to start looking at being able to provide a bit more coffee focused classes and you know what is it going to take for us to be able to do maybe not cuppings but hey here's how you use a French press and let's have that as a consistent training class yeah. a couple times a month so I, I want to see where we're going to go from there and I think it's a constantly evolving thing yeah we have sort of a loose roadmap, but we also, we're not looking to be acquired or franchises out. You know, we have to sort of look at things like what's reasonable, like what can we actually do and it's going to be not a waste of money and how much tolerance do we have for, say, investing down this road and being okay with it not being successful. Hmm. I think it's always interesting to think about, hey, what could another location look like? Yeah. It's not necessarily a pipe dream. I think it's always something that's in the back of our minds. like hey, could we open up another location? But it brings a whole other level of complexities, yeah. right? Like, how do we make sure we have a good general manager? Our processes in place. So those types of things, we're trying to shore up here, yeah. right? We want to make sure that our processes are in place. They could be replicable, even if we're not, but knowing that it's shored up here, that at least allows us to free up management's time to say, okay, hey, what other areas can we start focusing on and enhance and, and all that? Yeah. So. That's sort of where we're at right nice. now. And, uh, you know, we'll, we'll see what happens. Cool. Right? We'll see what happens. Cool. Yeah, well, thanks for sharing that. Yeah. And, um, and so kind of one of the Take more final... Take yeah, Fellow right? cafes everywhere, right? Like, you can just bike from one place to the next. Exactly, Boom. right? Uh, the Velo Trail, I'll yes. call it. Have a lawyer on retainer to deal with my liquor license issues. And, uh, yeah. <laughs> but, I mean, beer, coffee, every stop. Keep yes. you going. Yes, yeah. I'm in. You know, what can the D.C. coffee community do to support Velo Cafe? Yeah. Uh, you know, there's a lot of camaraderie and like DMV Coffee I think is a perfect example like, we've hosted a couple of the TNTs and I love doing those they're just so much fun yeah. and uh, I gotta call those guys and see when we can do the third one they like to rotate around the city but if I could host it every month I'd be super happy yeah. to do that I just it's fun like it's a good vibe people get excited and I would love to be able to bring more of the community 
outside of just the barista community and the coffee community to sort of experience that. That'd be great. So like whenever we, we do judges, we always bring someone from like the bike industry or the hardware or the oh, neighborhood. Cool. And they're like, what, what am I doing? I'm judging the latte, latte art. <laughs> and they don't really get it. And then they start seeing the talent that some of the local baristas have with making these amazingly intricate designs. And they're like, wow, I get this, right? Like, there is an art, there is a craft in this. Yeah. I would love to see, and this goes for bike industry too, I would love to see a little bit more community involvement with the city. I think there's certain industries that they do a very good job of putting their competition aside. And they form... I'm forgetting the actual term for it. Association? Yeah, Advocacy. an association that, you know, it's it's almost like a mini lobbying. Yeah. Right? Like, rising tide lifts all ships type of thing. Um, and we see a lot of division, I think, in the bike industry. In, no one has a unified platform to help make sure that cycling is a unified thing for all people because you can't do it alone at scale and, and be successful. Yeah. So, you know, milk, you know, it does a body good. Like, there's a perfect example of an industry that has an association that it's an agnostic ad. Everyone wants to drink milk, right? And I'd be curious to see what their metrics were to see how successful those adverts were. But, you know, it helps the local dairy. It helps the national dairy. It's, it's helping Trickling Springs. It's also helping, you know, whatever Safeways dairy producer is, Lucerne or whoever yeah. that is. But it's a national campaign, right? Like, I would love to be able to see that level of participation starting in a municipal perspective. Hey, we all are small business owners. We all have a lot of the same concerns. Yes, I want the customer to come to me and not to you because you don't pay my rent. And I think all small businesses need us to get away from that, right? Like, yes, we can have that conversation as well on another time and let your merits sort of elevate your brand but there are unique concerns as small businesses that, you know, the Chamber of Commerce, small business that have five, six, seven, 12 brands, they're not gonna have the same needs as someone like a, um, we'll go to Peregrine. You know, they have a kiosk at Union Market, right? Like, they have a brick and mortar store, but what were the barriers of entries that they went through to get brick and mortar that, say, a Taylor Gourmet now defunct, or, or you know, a, a Kava. There's a better example that's, that's really still kicking. Yeah, yeah. Right? Like, Kava says they want to move into a neighborhood. You know, you're going to have developers bending over backwards to lower the rent to make it achievable for them to be successful. Yeah. I think you have a small cafe like us or a small bike shop or whatever that is, one, maybe two locations. You don't have that clout, you don't have that leverage, you don't have that buying power that a Kava or a Safeway or a Giant would yeah. be able to leverage. But if we all come together, I think there's power in that. Right? Nice. And that's, yeah, it's sort of egalitarian, but we can't all do it alone yeah. and then expect to be successful. Sign me up, the DC Craft cool. Association. That's a real thing, isn't it? No, no? Okay. I, 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 I thought you were going to like throw something at me like, by the way, Jared, by there the is way. this organization yeah, and they do do Google. that. And, no. uh, there might be. We can yeah. check. But, well, awesome. Well, thanks for, yeah. for the conversations we've had. And as people know, we talked about on the front that this is a collaboration with iFilm Coffee. And so I want to put Vernon on the spot over here and have him jump into the episode a little bit. And if there's any other questions that, that you have. Yeah, jump in here, man. Just add them. Was Adam in there? Yeah. On the spot for real. Okay. Welcome to the table. Thank you. So for iFilm, I just try to sort of the same thing as DC Drip, just maybe not as in-depth, which is why I like his questions better. But I definitely want to get the regular coffee drinker, your gas station coffee drinker, like you were talking about earlier. Mm -hmm. I like to drive them out to local cafes, because I was telling um, Austin when we had our conversation that coffee is odd in that like so many millions of people consume this every day mm -hmm. but they'll drive past local places and everything to go to it might not even notice it's here so that's sort of uh that's yeah. that's sort of my goal to help drive those guys out there so for a little bit of community outreach if you were recommending to somebody who's maybe a little bit scared of specialty coffee and they think it's hard to get into like how would you recommend somebody jumps into like to be a retail oh no 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 as, as a consumer so, okay so, as I, i'm used to buying my coffee from duncan i'm afraid oh. to go to these shops <laughs> i think they're gonna you, you know what i mean there's so, a, so there's a level of intimidation because there you, you don't feel like you know the lingo or things 100%. like right like yeah, yeah so when i was i was living in illinois for school i was in peoria illinois and, okay. and um peoria is a town of about a hundred thousand people it's okay. in the middle of the state it is the home of caterpillar it's this sort of weird dichotomy because you've got extreme poverty, you have extreme wealth, you have blue collar, you have white collar. It's, it's a sort of interesting spot. 
but like there wasn't a Starbucks. When Barnes & Noble got built there in like 2001 or whatever it was, that was the only Starbucks we had there. So I think you have these areas in the country that we as urbanites sort of take for granted. There's people that like don't even have a Starbucks, right? Where do they get like, their coffee? Boohoo, right? Like I, I'm not trying to no, no, that's snooty, good. but yeah. it's it's Starbucks has done a very good job of exposing people to what a better cup of coffee can be than okay. say Exxon or I know people love Dunkin'. What, Sorry what, for what, anyone what, who's from Boston no, no, up no. here and like <laughs> I'm knocking on the Dunks in your vanilla whatever, right? And 32 ounces and, and, and all that. I, I think Starbucks has sort of started that conversation, right? Right. especially because it's more premium price point. Right. You know, they are actually taking shots of espresso. Right. They've started getting into a few more types of coffee, like they get the blonde roast now. Right. I think that's helped start that conversation. Okay. And I, I think people just just try something new, right? Like, right. And don't be nervous. I think a good coffee shop is going to guide you. Okay. Maybe you've never heard of Single Origin. Right. And maybe that is a little intimidating. I, I think that is... For some people, like, what is single what, origin, what is right? Like, why should I spend the extra dollar? Or I don't know Guatemalan to Ethiopian to blah, 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 blah. So I think, you know, if people have an open mind, they go into this and they just sort of try, right? Okay. Like, the same thing with food, right? You might not like it. Take note. I didn't, I didn't dig it. But I think the more shops that focus on the quality, I think that will help expose really boutique shops like ours, like Chris's, and yeah, what happens. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I think I've gotten off track from the question, but you know. No, 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 yeah, yeah, yeah. All that quality will drive people in, yeah, and, and it'll and help expose them to the brand. It'll make them less afraid to come to the local shop. Right, and and, and we, when we were getting ready to open this up, we had to get approval from True Value Hardware, who is our hardware provider, right. to actually open up a store. Right. They didn't get the coffee thing. Right. And we took them out to Hyattsville, and we're like, you guys like, yeah, I drink whatever's in the office. Right. And we hand him a cup of coffee, and he's like, like all of a sudden his eyes open. He's had this like epiphany of like, holy hell, what yeah. is, this is coffee, 100%. right? Like, this is what coffee can taste like. Right. It's sort of an interesting experience. And there's like, yeah, we get it. Like, we get it. And, and we've now had these conversations with other hardware stores of like, hey, if you got 500 square feet, invest. Yeah. Right? Like, you can educate your customers and they will have this whole new experience and you can start cultivating coffee. Right. Right? You can build that community. You can right. elevate it. You can be exposed to something beyond pumped coffee. 100%. And hey, people will come back. They keep their dollars in the community. Yeah. And it just exactly. it, it benefits everybody in the end. And we're good. Jared, thanks for, for talking pleasure. with us. And we're happy to share your story. And Melo Cafe is in Thank you. Story. And uh, appreciate you guys coming in. It was fun. Yeah, awesome. Sorry for Thank chatting you. yours off. Oh, it's, I don't know. It's I told right. you I talked. <laughs> that's a wrap, folks. Be sure to check out Velo Cafe at The Wharf and on one of their many social media channels. I Film Coffee can be found on Twitter and Instagram. And again, be sure to check out this video on iFilm's YouTube channel. While there, you can also watch videos of some of DC's favorites like Qualia Coffee, Vigilante Coffee, and Southeastern Roastery. If you're interested in collaborating with DC Drip, go to dcdrippodcast.com and send me a message. Thank you to Vernon Brown and I Film Coffee, Mike Crockett, the engineer, Broke Royals for music, Rebecca Silverstein for logo and web design, and Leslie Stukenbroker for creative support. Thanks again for listening, and keep brewing community.